going to start out with, we're going to go to Revelation 19 in just a moment, and I want to give you a couple of things that are taking place in our, basically within our country right now. See if I can get this going. Okay, we'll skip that. All right, I think we're on on track. All right, so I'm, uh, uh, this morning at the 10:45 hour, I'm going to be speaking on violence and hatred, conflicted cultural Christians. So I'm not going to talk about that right now, but I do want to bring in a couple of things that I think will help get our attention as we get into our message this morning. I had talked in, uh, on Wednesday night, and I maybe a little bit on Sunday night last week, about the percentage of individuals in America that hold what we'll call a biblical world view. Now, you would think that in the, the Christian church, uh, churches that believe the Bible, that believe uh, supposedly believe uh, the Bible and follow Christ, that there would be much more of an adherence to what we'll call a biblical worldview. You say, well, what do you mean by a biblical worldview? It means that everything we say and do is basically centered around what God would have us to do. And I want to read a couple of startling, uh, uh, if you will, statistics to you. The Barna Group, which uh, basically the Christian Post had put these articles out recently, and here's the headline on the article, just 2% of millennials hold a biblical worldview lowest among all adults. I want, uh, you say, well, what's the importance of this? The importance of this is that even among Christian churches, the concept of what does the Bible mean? Is it true? Is it truly God's word? Is Jesus Christ truly the only way to heaven is being questioned in mass, including in Christian churches. Here's a, a little bit of the article. I just want to give you a couple of sentences here. Although 61% of American millennials consider themselves to be Christian, 61% of all millennial individuals claim to be Christians. Just 2% of them were found to hold a biblical worldview, according to a recent study released by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Now, here they're going to define what that means. A biblical worldview, as previously defined by Barna, includes believing that absolute moral truths exist. Now, folks, if, you, if we have young people that don't believe that absolute moral truths exist, that's not a biblical worldview because it mandates that. And that such truth is defined by the Bible as well as firm belief in six specific religious views. Those views are that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Satan is real. A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people, and the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. A couple other lines. Along with the stark rejection of traditional Christian belief, millennials were also found in the study to reject most basic American values like respect for others, obligations of civic engagement. While the millennials have shown the most radical shift away from the Bible, other generations do not fare much better. I want to pull out one other quick article that came out in uh, May 26th. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Now that we're switching from the millennial generation and we're looking at people as a whole, here's uh, three paragraphs, uh, just a couple sentences each. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, according to research from notable evangelical pollster George Barna, released as part of a new endeavor with a Christian conservative advocacy organization, Family Research Council. Quote, every Christian can and should obtain a biblical worldview. And I hope we can all say amen to that. Uh, but every Christian, we're not talking about the unsafe folks. We're not talking about the unchurched folks. We're talking about God's people. Out of God's people, 6% hold a biblical worldview. How do they find that? The data found, among other things, that while 51% of American adults said they have a biblical worldview, only 6% of American adults actually held this. And here's an example. For example, of the 51% that claim to have a worldview, 
49% said that reincarnation was a possibility after they die. Now, you're laughing, and that's good. It, it is. It, it seems, how in the world can uh, uh, folks that believe the Scriptures come up with reincarnation? Meanwhile, only 33% said they believe that human beings are born with a sinful nature and can only be saved from the consequences of sin by Jesus Christ. What's that telling us, folks? It's telling us that just as I started out with on kind of a little slippery slope this morning with what I discussed from this uh, church discipline issue, listen, if the church leadership isn't teaching biblical truth, what do you expect the folks to do, right? And that's exactly what's taking place. Watered down gospels, changed gospels, messing up what the Word of God states, and what do you have? You have bad outcomes. So I brought that to your attention this morning because when we're looking at Scripture, we want to get it right. It's not about the individual speaking. It's about what does God's Word say. And every single person should be very critical of that. Is what's being taught, is what's being said, is what's being preached and taught in this church or any other for that matter, does it match up with God's Word. Take your Bibles, please, if you have them, Revelation chapter 19. And we're going, we're going to finish Revelation 19 uh, this morning. We've gone through several verses in it. We're going to backtrack to a particular parenthetical statement about what's known as uh, the first resurrection. In fact, I think I said 19. I meant chapter 20. We've already done 19. Um, that's the wrong slide for the intro, so maybe we should get that right, Rich. Okay, there we go. All right, uh, so what we're going to be talking about today is when is your resurrection? Do you understand that every single one of you will be resurrected someday? And if I were to ask you this question, now, now here's for something to think about. When you walk in here in the morning and, or the evening or whenever you come in, are you seeking to get something from God's Word? I hope you are. Are you paying attention and trying to get, okay, so I'll go through historical things, contextual things, biblical theology, but we always tie things in with how's this going to affect you personally? Well, folks, this prophetic piece, even though it's prophecy, it's talking every single person in here is going to be affected by this. You are going to be part of a resurrection, but which one? And you say, well, how many are there? Well, there's actually several. And uh, we're going to look at that this morning as we go into Revelation chapter 20. So as we get started, let's go to Revelation 20. Now, we've already gone through the first several verses. We were talking about uh, the 1,000-year millennial kingdom that will be coming in the future. And we want to jump down to uh, verse, where am I here? Verse 4. Uh, Apostle John is speaking. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such. The second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. All right, now, we went through verse 7 and on uh, last week, but this is a passage we did not go through because it, it didn't fit the scenario, if you will, the first several verses when dealing with the millennial kingdom. We're looking at something that's going to take place called the first resurrection, which hasn't happened yet. Now, if, if you study the Bible at all, right now your tentacles should go up, and it's like, well, wait a minute. There have been numerous resurrections that have taken place before this prophetic passage comes to pass. It, did God mess up? Is it not right? Uh, how do we explain that? Well, what we're going to look at this morning is multiple resurrections that are spoken about in the Scriptures, and your job this morning is to figure out which one you 
are going to be a part of. All right, so let's go to uh, chapter uh, Revelation 20, the performance, if you will, the martyrs. So we're talking about a group of martyrs. When were these Christians, these believers, if you will, killed? Now, we currently live in what age? What do we call this? The church age. All right, the church age ends, and we're not going to go through the, old, the graphs and things this morning, but just uh, you've been here long enough. Visitors, I'm sorry, you're going to have to catch up if you're not familiar with these things. But uh, 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 the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is what? The rapture of the church where Jesus Christ comes in the clouds. Uh, last night we were uh, we were sitting around uh, before the rain started outside, and uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, one of one of the person's phones went off, and it kind of sounded like a real weak trumpet. And uh, one of the people <laughs> one of the people looked up, and it's it's nice and cloudy out, and they said, "Is this the rapture?" That's serious. And I was like, well, at least you're on target, but a little off, but on target. And uh, we kind of laughed a little bit and looked up, and yeah, there was clouds, and it was, uh, it was not a loud trumpet. Uh, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, First Thessalonians 4 says what? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall be raised first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the what? In the clouds, it was a cloudy day. We heard a trumpet, like this must be it. And uh, but that's for but that's for real, folks. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to come in the clouds and uh, take those who are believers up to heaven with Him. Then what's going to take place is the seven-year horrible tribulation time is going to come. What's going to take place during that time? Well, Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 makes it very clear that many people will indeed come to Jesus Christ during that seven-year tribulation period, but what's going to happen to them? The Bible says they're going to be killed. We talked about Revelation chapter 13, the one-world economy, the one-world government, uh, the one-world religion, all in Revelation 13. And it made it very clear that anyone who refused to take the mark of the beast, in other words, the mark on the hand or the forehead, what would happen to them? They're going to be killed. Unless they can go underground and hide somewhere, they're going to die. So there's going to be a massive amount of folks after me and you, if you've trusted Christ, if it happens in our generation, will be taken up to heaven. And those folks that are left behind. And then how many of you have heard the Left Behind series? All right, Tim LaHaye wrote that uh, uh, huge, massive series. Uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's of course, uh, a bit satirical at times, and it's uh, 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 written as a... Uh, fiction, but it's the content is really good. Uh, Tim LaHaye, by the way, went to be with the Lord a few years ago. Uh, one of his partners. How many of you know who Ed Heinsen is? Okay, he's on BCY still, but he just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we're losing a lot of, of our great prophecy teachers right now uh, who went to heaven. But what are we talking about? We're talking about when the, the tribulation comes. Uh, uh, the gospel will go out in massive form. And I appreciate those here that go out and they spread the gospel in our community. I appreciate the, the folks that have been uh, linking up with Ed Gilmore and going to uh, Piggly Wiggly. That's a weird name. Piggly Wiggly. And uh, uh, what do they do? They go out there every, uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Thursday if I got it right. And uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I knew it was a T. Anyway, uh, uh, they go out there and they set up a tent and uh, uh, they pass out Bibles and books and pamphlets and talk to folks about Christ. And it's a great ministry uh, that they're doing. Uh, and God said, listen, these individuals will come to Christ, but they're going to be martyred and uh, will lose their life. Well, the good news is when uh, uh, they die, they go, of course, directly to heaven. But uh, uh, these individuals, they, they refuse to accept, they basically uh, refuse to accept uh, a non-biblical worldview, folks. Do you catch that? They said, listen, we're going to stand for Christ. We're not going to bend. We're going to hold strong. We're not going to compromise our families. We're not going to compromise our children. We're not going to compromise our young people. We're not going to compromise our stand for who we believe is the Savior of all people that will come to Jesus. We're not going to compromise. We're going to hold firm. We're not going to accept the, if you will, the devil's mark in the tribulation period. And they stood firm. Folks, can I ask you, are you standing firm? Do you have a biblical worldview? Is everything in this, this Bible what you uh, put your uh, faith in? Is your family being run by the principles in this word? Is your marriage being run by what's in this word? Is your business being run by what's in this 
word? Is your schoolmates, do they know that you stand on this word? Do the folks in the cubicle next to you or the office next to you or the folks at the water cooler, do they know that you stand for biblical truth? These people will give their very lives to stand for the truth. They will not bend. They will not compromise. And yes, they will suffer the ultimate sacrifice of giving their lives. Well, let's move on to the next part. If you can move me to the next one, please. I don't seem to connect here. All right. There we go. All right. The position of uh, the tribulation martyrs. By the way, you all should have uh, the at least the basic outline in your bulletin this morning. Well, how about the position of these martyrs? What did they do? God says, listen, yes, you were martyred, but here's the good news. What's going to happen? You didn't take the, uh, you didn't compromise. You didn't take the, uh, uh, the image of the beast. Who's the beast, folks? Antichrist. Again, the Antichrist uh, of, from 1 John chapter 4 makes it very clear that a world ruler will come on this scene named the Antichrist. Uh, uh, of course, that won't be his real name. There'll be a world dictator or uh, Mr. Suave or whatever they're going to call him. Uh, but he's going to come on the scene and folks are going to flock to him and they'll actually worship him. And uh, the false prophet that we learned in Revelation 13 many weeks ago, that the false prophet would demand that every single person take that mark of the beast, uh, what many of you know as 666 in the last verse of Revelation 13. And uh, uh, they were killed because they refused to do it. And here's, uh, God says, well, listen, here's the position of those dear martyrs. And they lived and reigned with Christ for what? A thousand years. Folks, there's a literal 1,000-year kingdom that's going to be right here on earth. It's coming after the rapture of the church, after the seven-year tribulation, when Jesus Christ himself descends from heaven and sets up that one thousand year period of uh, ruling. Revelation 20 verse 5, the participants of the first resurrection. Now here's here's where where some of you are going to be like, oh, I never saw this before. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now if you're thinking, and I hope you're thinking, has there ever been a resurrection that's, that's taken place in the Bible up to this point? There have been a whole bunch of them. And you say, well, wait a minute. How come they're calling this the first resurrection? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because we're going to figure it out this morning. All right, so uh, we're going to look, we're going to start out with it again. Uh, uh, I don't have all these, I don't think, on the outline, but uh, you can look at them and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. When we look at the Old Testament, there are numerous individuals that were literally resurrected from the dead. Uh, we could look at the widow of Zarephath's son, who was raised by Elijah. We could look at the Shudamite son, who was raised by Elisha, uh, we, or Elijah, the first one. Uh, then a man was tossed into Elijah's tomb in 2 Kings, and he was raised by God's Spirit. So we know from the Old Testament there are several people that literally were raised from the dead. Now the question is, if they're raised from the dead, where are they today? Well, let's answer that question in just a moment here. How about in the New Testament? Are there any things talked about on the resurrection? There we go. Now we'll start out with my daughter here uh, in the New Testament, known as Tabitha. Tabitha was a raised from the dead. She's uh, laying in a room, and all of a sudden uh, the ladies are crying, and they're like, oh, Tabitha, uh, they called her Dorcas back then. Tabitha, Dorcas is dead. And uh, uh, what happens? Peter walks into the room and, and says, uh, uh, get out of here and let me see her, and uh, raises her from the dead. And she was raised from the dead, literally. Uh, my favorite one is uh, Eutychus, and I love this one, and you can relate to this because Paul was long-winded in his preaching. That's not funny. And uh, so he's going on and on and on, and he's preaching. I mean, you think it's bad when I do maybe a 45, 50, whatever, sermon. And uh, uh, it's like, wow, is he ever going to get done? And uh, this poor guy, Eutychus, he's sitting up in a, in a window, and Paul's along preaching, and it's in Israel, and he's tired, I'm sure. And it's like, oh, man. You know, I, I worked all day. I worked half the night, and I know I should be listening to Paul, but I just I can't. 
and all of a sudden he nods off and he falls out of the window to the ground and uh, he's dead. I mean, Eutychus is dead. And Paul uh, uh, had a heart attack up at the pulpit and he's like, oh my, what are we going to do? And uh, he didn't really have a heart attack, but I'm sure he was uh, disturbed. And, and Paul runs out of, the, out of the place where he's preaching. He goes down to Eutychus and says, don't worry, his life's still in him. Please, Lord, let his life still be in him. And uh, 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 Paul literally raises Eutychus from the dead. He was resurrected. Uh, how about multiple people raised upon Jesus' death? Let's go to that real quickly. I don't have it on a slide. Let's go to Matthew 27 very quickly. And verse 51. So, uh, verse 50, we have Jesus at his crucifixion. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, died, were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, being Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Wait a minute. Revelation, 9, or Revelation chapter 20 said we're talking about the first resurrection. Something is dramatically wrong. This Bible must be full of errors. Of course it's not. So let's figure this out. What, what happened? What, what things changed? How about uh, uh, when we talk about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Well, how about that particular issue? Well, folks, and, and I like to say this when I'm preaching on this topic, it's like, okay, so Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Let's go see him. You're like, well, wait a minute. Where is Lazarus? If he's raised from the dead, what happened to him? If all these Old Testament and New Testament people were raised from the dead, where are they? Well, folks, those individuals, believe it or not, had, uh, I don't know how to describe that as a blessing or something else, but they all died again. Every single one of them died. So they were raised up temporarily, and they literally experienced death a second time. So they're not part, if you will, of the first resurrection, which is permanent. These were individuals that were basically due to uh, miracles that the individuals were showing to document who they were in their ministries. These individuals did indeed come back to life, but it was a temporary life, and they passed away. Well, let's go to the next one. How about Jesus Christ's resurrection? Now you say, well, wait a minute. Chronologically speaking, was Jesus raised before something that hasn't happened yet? And obviously the, the, the answer is, of course he did. So what we're going to look at now is why Jesus' resurrection, if you will, was not considered part of that first resurrection. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 28 to get us started here and look at this. Now, after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn. By the way, what is today biblically? It's the first day of the week. All right? Uh, uh, so why do we meet here on the first day of the week instead of on the Sabbath as the Old Testament did? Well, it's simply because we don't follow the Old Testament law. And by the way, the, uh, it, and we went through a whole study on this. Uh, the Jewish people actually didn't meet together on the Sabbath. That became a tradition when the synagogues came into being, but that's not a biblical statement. So why do we meet together? Well, we meet together because Jesus was raised on what day? Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, the first day of the week. So the first day of the week began to dawn. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Moving on to verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. I mean, he's dead. There's no if, answer, buts about it. He died. What's the Bible say? He is not here, for he is what? He's risen. As he said, did Jesus predict he would rise from the dead? He absolutely did. Uh, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Uh, and they went in there. They go quickly. And, and what did they see? Did they see Jesus in that tomb? Was he there? Of course not. Uh, why? Because he had risen. And uh, they get excited. And they say, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Well, wait a minute. Why wasn't that the first 
resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's an historical fact. And has become the first fruits, and has become the what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or have died. For since by man Adam came death, by man Jesus also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. All right, so now we have one absolutely documented fact of one person being Jesus Christ himself who is resurrected from the dead. Will he ever die again? Absolutely not. All right, so we've got that particular resurrection. Well, let's go to the next one. And we need to talk about the resurrection at the rapture. Now, folks, the Bible makes it very, very clear that when the rapture takes place, what is going to happen to those that are in the graves, that have trusted Christ alone? What's going to happen to them? They're going to rise up. Are they coming out of the graves? Are they going to be given glorified bodies? Absolutely. How do we prove that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 makes it very clear. Uh, let's go to that. We've got enough time this morning. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to prove the point. And while you're turning there, I want you to ask in the back of your head, wait a second. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the first resurrection. Why is 1 Thessalonians not referred to as the first resurrection? Do you think that's a good question? I do. I think it's a very good question, and we're going to answer it. First Corinthians, or what did I say? 1 Corinthians. I'm going to the wrong book here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's go down to verse 50. There we go. Uh, now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. Sleep, when we're talking here in context, means what? It means death. But we shall all be what? Who's going to be changed? What's the, what's the pronoun there? And by the way, pronouns in the Bible stand. It's not like the current culture. Who did I say that? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, we. We. Wait a minute. Who wrote this? Who wrote 1 Corinthians? The apostle who? Paul. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. You know why he used that? And, and uh, most biblical scholars will agree with this. Paul didn't expect to die. He expected the rapture to happen in his generation. We shall not all die, and I think God put that in there on purpose, showing that we're waiting for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, it's been 2,000 years since Paul wrote this. I guess he was a bit off. No, because God wants every single one of us to live our life as if Jesus Christ is coming back today. And that's the point. Uh, we shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a nanosecond, at the last trumpet matches right up with first thessalonians 4 the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when the corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your sting O hades where is your Victory, the sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, wait a second. You say, well, this really starting to get confusing now. So we had a bunch of folks that were resurrected. Okay, they died, and uh, uh, they'll be resurrected again in the future. Correct. Then we have Jesus Christ who comes on the scene. He dies, is resurrected, never to die again, which is literally, you would think they'd call him the first resurrection. No, it's be uh, well, I'm not going to get ahead of myself yet. Now we're talking about a group of individuals who are in this room potentially today. If the rapture happens today, we'll go immediately up to be with Christ. All the dead in Christ since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when they died, where did their soul or spirit go, if you will? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Immediately upon death, boom, they go up to heaven. 
Myrtle Pennybecker's body sat right here. I made it very clear, as I always do at a funeral, that Myrtle was not in that casket. Myrtle's not there. She doesn't, she's not stuck in that casket. The second that Myrtle breathed her last, a glorious thing happened, absent from the body, present with the Lord. She's, she's not here, folks. Uh, this is not Myrtle. This is the shell. This is the envelope. This is the box. But she's not there. But you see, that body is going, where, where did that body is going to be? Well, some people bury the body, some people cremate, and of course, many other different ways that uh, a body might be uh, disposed of in an accident or through natural means, if you will. When does that body get changed? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us when Jesus comes in the clouds, all the Christians, that body is going to be resurrected and given uh, that glorified body and be reunited with the soul spirit, if you will. And how long are they going to live? How long? Forever, uh, forever folks. I mean, uh, uh, when, we, when we get myopic in our thinking, it's like, oh, uh, uh, when I die, uh, what's going to happen? And God says, you're going to live for eternity. Now, you're going to go through a process. Every single person here, you're going to go through a process, barring the rapture happening, and this whole body's going to give out. I always talk about uh, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung, who uh, many of you listened to on, had listened to, and still on many radio and television programs, he was absolutely 100, and I mean absolutely 100% convinced he was going home in the rapture. That was going to happen before he died. I I, I can't get into all the things with his family and so forth, but he just absolutely was sure it was going to happen. Well, folks, that's, that's the way Jesus wants us, quite frankly, to look at it, that Jesus could come back any second, and it's going to be in my lifetime. That's the, that's the approach that there's actually a crown that God said he'll give to believers that, that believe that. I want to make it very clear, though. If you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow or next week or, or, or in your lifetime, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make plans and have your family cared for. I've seen some folks that get so bound up in this that they're like, well, I don't think, uh, I think Jesus is going to come back in five years or ten years. I know he's coming back in my lifetime. And uh, they don't take care of things at home. And then that person passes away and all of a sudden you got a tragedy and there's no money and there's no insurance and there's no medical. And uh, uh, some people will go to the extreme of selling all their property and the next thing you know they're homeless. I've seen it happen. You say, that sounds crazy. Well, folks, it's good to believe the Bible, which you should. It's good to understand that Jesus could come back at any moment, which he could. But it doesn't mean that we are to not live, if you will, as responsible citizens. We don't know for sure when he's coming back. Paul could have said, listen, he's coming back in my lifetime. Others could say it, but we need to properly prepare as if Jesus is coming back but we don't know when. All right, so we know about the rapture of the church. Why is that not called the first resurrection? Do I have you thinking? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> All right, Bethany, I might need your help again. I'm not clicking in. All right, uh, we're still not clicking in. All right, so we have the, the rapture of Christians. So right now we have two documented situations of people that have been resurrected and we're still not to the first resurrection. Uh, two slides, Bethany. Next one. All right. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our, now we're talking about Christians now. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to working which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Uh, we, we, we quoted it at the funeral yesterday. I've done it here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore, and I just don't feel at home in this world anymore. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore we always confident, Christian, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be what? Here it is, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Well, let's get back to our Revelation text of verse 6. 
and uh, the positive results of the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death. We'll talk about that in a moment. Has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We're going to go to Romans chapter 10. We're going to get there in just a moment. So, we've set up multiple resurrections. We have Jesus Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection. Then we have the folks that potentially are in this room, the rapture of the church. Why is the rapture of the church age saints not considered the first resurrection? Now, you'll read some individuals that will say this. Well, the rapture is part A of the first resurrection. Some of the theologians have put it that way. Uh, I have many good friends that are uh, believe as we do, pre-trib, pre-millennial type folks that believe uh, that uh, by definition the rapture was part A and uh, the rapture, the resurrection that will happen at the beginning of uh, when Christ comes back, it literally after that uh, first resur- resurrection takes place is part B of the resurrection. Well, if we want to look at it a strict, and, and here we go, I'm going to take you to Bible school for a moment. Here is the strict theological reasoning why the first resurrection in Revelation is called the first resurrection. Now, those of you that have been at Union Grove Baptist Church for more than probably, I'll probably have to raise the bar here to about six months. If you've been here, have I been here two years? In six months, you should have picked up this, and if you haven't, you'll get it again today. Was the church age prophesied in the Old Testament? Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 is the Old Testament Jewish prophetic calendar. The book I wrote called Daniel's Gap, Paul's Mystery, uh, one of the few books on the subject that's ever been written, makes it very clear. And here's how, uh, if you will, it's so easy to figure out as to why the first resurrection in Revelation, after the rapture has taken place, is still the first resurrection. The church age was not prophesied in the Old Testament. The church age as it currently exists was inserted in the New Testament. You say, well, explain that very quickly, and it's going to be like a two-minute explanation. If you're not familiar with it, we got a ton of stuff on our website that goes through all this. I have the book that you can get all that good stuff and go through it in depth. But here's the simplicity of it. If you get this, you got it. Between Daniel 9.26, the last two things in Daniel 9.26, it talks about the crucifixion of Jesus and the destruction of the second temple. That's it. The next verse, Daniel 9.27, takes you into the seven-year tribulation period. Wait a minute. Has the second temple been destroyed? Has the second temple been destroyed? It's taken down by the Romans in A.D. what year? 70. Very good. That's it. That's the last event in Daniel 9.27. Then we go, and uh, uh, there's a nice big space between Daniel 9.26 and 27, which has lasted some 2,000 years. God inserted the church age, which for whatever reason, he kept what? He kept it a mystery. He kept it a secret. He kept it undisclosed, unrevealed. And I've given these verses time after time, and uh, here they are again. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 7 makes it very clear that for whatever reason, and I don't know the reason, that's up to God, he kept the age in which we live a mystery, a secret, until it was revealed basically in the time when Christ came. So, the rapture of the church is part of, if you will, that parenthetical period that is not part of the what calendar? The Jewish calendar. By the way, that's another major argument for the pre-tribulation rapture. We were not a part of Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week in, uh, or in, I'm sorry, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, is for what group of people? Who's the, who's the players? It's the Jews. It's not the church age. So you won't be in, if you will, that tribulation period. Well, let's go on uh, to this first resurrection then. And uh, Daniel chapter 12 
tells us this. Now we're talking about Old Testament saints now in Daniel 12. We're in the Old Testament, written 500 years before Christ, more than that. And at, a, and at that time, Michael uh, shall stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, being the Jews, and there shall be a time of trouble. That seven-year tribulation period, such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. He's talking about the book of life, believers in God. And many of them that sleep or are dead in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What's he talking about here? Well, let's go right back to Revelation chapter 20 in the first resurrection, which deals with the Jewish people. You see how it all pulls together? It's like, oh, so what is the first resurrection applying to? The literal definition for the first gener- or for the first resurrection is a resurrection of, if you will, the Old Testament Jewish saints and the tribulation saints, uh, uh, not the, tri- well, the tribulation saints and uh, uh, those that will be martyred during that time. That is the first resurrection. So you say, well, what resurrection are you part of? And we'll close with this. If you were a Jewish person, I want you to take a look, and uh, uh, we're going to expand this in just a moment. Right in, let's see if my little, there we go, right in this section here. For this side, right this section here. Those are all Jewish graves. What is the name of this, whoops, wrong one. Ah, See, now it works. Don't want it to work. All right. What is the name of this section here? What's it called? The Temple what? The Temple Mount. What's sitting on God's Temple Mount right now? The Dome of the Rock. Is that a, is that a Jewish shrine? Is it a Christian shrine? It's a Muslim shrine. That is the same exact spot where the first and second temple stood. 960 B.C. to 586 B.C. and 515 B.C. to 70 A.D. That's where the first and the second temple stood. By the way, that's coming down someday when the third temple is put up, but that's another day. So we have the Jewish central place. We have the Jewish graves. And here are, we're just pulled in some. All these are Orthodox Jewish people that pay upwards of $100,000 to a million dollars to have that burial plot. Yeah, shocking, right? Why did they do that? Why do the Orthodox Jewish people pay that exorbitant amount of money to be buried right here? I'm going to go back to the other slide. Do you recall from the prophets, where is Jesus supposed to enter the temple from? What gate? The eastern gate, which happens to be right here. By the way, what, the, what these folks don't get either is this, this is all going away and it's all going to be redone when Jesus Christ returns. This whole area is going to be massive. It's going to turn into the biggest temple mount ever. It's going to take up uh, uh, the, the, the land, which is only less than 20 miles from shore to shore, uh, is going to turn into, according to Ezekiel chapter 40 to 46, and uh, through 48, a 50-mile area. So there's going to be a tremendous expansion. When's that happen? Revelation 16, a massive earthquake takes place, and that whole land mass is going to change. Jesus Christ will come down and build the fourth temple, not the tribulation temple, but the fourth temple where he'll rule and reign from. Now, our Jewish friends, unfortunately, uh, I keep hitting the wrong button, sorry. Our Jewish friends believe that because they're buried here, the old Testament, not the New Testament. The Old Testament states that when the Messiah, who of course they don't believe is Jesus, when the Messiah returns, he will come through the eastern gate. These folks believe that when the Messiah comes, of course they believe it will be his first coming, not his second. When the Messiah comes, he will pass over here, which is uh, uh, coming through the Mount of Olives. That's correct, Zechariah 14. And he'll come in and he'll bust through the eastern gate and set up his temple. Those people believe that they will be the first ones to be resurrected when the Messiah comes through and are willing to pay upwards of 100 to $1 million dollars to be one of the first ones to be resurrected. Now, if you're new or you haven't heard this before, if you look along, you can't see it here because it's way too tiny, 
The Muslims have put graves all along this outer wall, including by the eastern gate. You know why? They're because they're like, the Messiah won't come over our dead bodies. Dead serious. That's why they're there. They buried them there to keep the Messiah from entering into that Temple Mount. Well, folks, it's that uh, uh, everything I just said about the, what the Muslims believe, what the Jewish people believe, it's not what's going to happen at all. They're close, but they're wrong. So, let's tie this all together, and we're going to have to stop. We'll get into uh, the second death next week because we just don't have time. So I'm going to put the slide up, and we're going to talk about it next week. Are you going to be part of, if you will, the rapture, which is the next literal resurrection on God's prophetic calendar? Are you going to be involved in it? If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will not be part of that event if it happens in our generation. The next major resurrection that will happen will be those that come to Christ and are martyred and the Old Testament saints known as in the Bible the first resurrection. Next week we're going to talk about the second death which will be the last resurrection. Who will be involved in that? And I'm just giving you a quick summary and then we'll talk about it next week. Every single person from history past up through the present when God is done with humanity in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 15 discuss what will happen to all those who have failed to come to Jesus Christ have failed to trust in the Messiah since eternity or since uh, humankind started with Adam every single unbeliever will be at the white throne judgment, and God calls it the second death. Now give me two minutes and we'll be done. We talked about a body that was here yesterday, myrtles, and many bodies have been in this place as well as, of course, thousands and millions of different places across this world. Every single person will live for eternity. It's a matter of where. Where are you going to spend eternity? The second death talks about spiritual death. Everybody's going to die physically, barring being involved in the rapture. Every person will die physically, and God says there is a second death. Last verse, and we're done. Go to just if you got your Bibles in Revelation, go to Revelation chapter twenty-one and verse eight, and it describes what the second death is. And again, we'll get more into this next week. Revelation 21.8. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you died, you go to heaven. You need to pay attention to this verse. It should scare you. And I'm not trying to scare folks. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. But God's making a very, very major statement here for anyone without Christ. But the cowardly, unbelieving unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. So God goes through this horrific list of sins. The first several are talking about those that basically refuse to trust God. Then he goes to some of these other things. And then he comes down to a basic, simple thing that virtually every person on this earth has done, which is lied. And he says, and all liars, in other words, all people, all sinners, what is their end game? What's going to happen to them? They shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the what? Second death. You see, there's some folks watching on the Internet right now. There may be some sitting in this auditorium right now. And when you walked in or when you turned us on, you had no clue if you died, you go to heaven. Well, unfortunate truth is if you've never placed your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross and you refuse to do that in your lifetime, you will experience the second death, which is eternal separation from God in what? The lake of fire. You say, ah, that's old-fashioned, uh, fuddy-duddy stuff. We don't buy that anymore. Well, God buys it. It's still in the Word of God. It's not going away. It's there. It's never going away. And I want to beg you right now, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, would you do it this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Father, I pray now that as we have looked at the scriptures as we've looked at the various resurrections that have and will take place. 
I pray that every person right now would take a moment and, li- and determine, well, based on my faith or lack of it, where am I going to be in eternity? Where am I going to spend eternity? If you're here this morning and you honestly aren't sure if you died, you go to heaven. Listen, we're going to tell you how right now. I want you to listen very, very carefully. First thing God says that we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God, Romans uh, 3, verse 23. And the Bible says if we got what we deserved because we've sinned, every single one of us will go to that place called the lake of fire, Revelation 21, 8. But the good news is, as we looked at this morning, that Jesus Christ did come down from heaven. He did die on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and he was resurrected, proving he was God. You say, well, Brother Rich, I knew that when I came in here. I've heard that for my whole life. Well, there's one more thing you have to do. What is that? What is it? It's not working your way to heaven. It's not taking communion. It's not being baptized. It's not trying to be the best person on earth. It's a free gift that God wants to give you this very moment. And here's how you get that free gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, For by grace, God's free and merited gift are you saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Right there we are. Would you accept the free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you in his death, burial, and resurrection. Don't wait around. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Yesterday, while we were doing Myrtle's funeral, several of our folks were burying an 18-year-old young man who was killed in a motorcycle accident. You do not know if you have tomorrow. Would you accept that free gift? Right there we are. You say, what do I need to do? It's by faith. What What does it take to exercise faith? Put your faith and trust Put your belief in what Jesus did for you. Father, I pray now that as we close, if there's someone here listening or watching, that uh, right at this moment the Holy Spirit would move in their heart and tug them to accept that free gift. If that's you this morning and you're saying, yes, I'm ready to trust Jesus, I finally get it. I understand there's horrible consequences to reject Jesus, and I won't accept them this morning. Right there we are. Would you, by faith, receive him? I'm going to say a prayer in a moment. The prayer won't save you but it'll confirm what you've already done in your heart by faith. If you're here this morning and we're ready to trust Jesus, let's thank him for that. Maybe you want to say something like this. You can pray silently with me as we, as we pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but this very moment I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me in his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for saving me. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. Are, 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 what's your worldview? Are you one of the two percenters, one of the six percenters? Or are you one of the 51 or 60 percenters that know the truth but have chosen not to live it? Would you give your life to Jesus this morning? Would you get right with God? Would you stop living the old-fashioned, uh, a sinful way? And let's live a life that's honoring and pleasing to Jesus. Let's raise our families right. Let's, let's make our marriages solid. Let's raise our children properly. Let's be good folks as we uh, uh, go to our workplaces and our schools. Father, seal decisions this morning. We love you. We want to do right.